The following talk was given by Bear Gokon Bonabakar at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokon is a senior monastic and dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. He serves as director of operations at Zen Mountain Monastery and also helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Shantideva said, Why do I keep doing the things that cause me suffering? This is something that Shugan Roshi quotes now and then. I've been hearing recently, Why do I keep doing the things that cause me suffering? Why do we suffer? Do we suffer from our own actions? Do we choose to? Do we know what causes suffering? What is this that we call suffering? Shantideva was an Indian master, 7th century, a time when Mahayana Buddhism was flourishing in India. It seems that his teachings didn't make it to China, were not incorporated in Zen. His teachings are very important in the Tibetan tradition have been for centuries. But now here in our time, we have access to all of these different teachings. And Shantideva and his, his text, The Way of the Bodhisattva, I feel like has become part of our study and practice here because Shugen Roshi is so, um, it's so important to Shugen Roshi, has been important in his practice. He recently, um, for some of the monastics and seniors, gave us an excerpt from something, from a, from a translation of Shantideva that I hadn't seen before. Um, that's his favorite translation, he told me. And when I read it, I felt like I, I was like feeling Shugen. I was like, oh, this is what you've been doing. And the story of Shantideva is a good one. He was a student at a monk at Nalanda University, which was this great center of learning in northern India, practice and learning and study. And the story is that he was not a very good student. He slept in his classes. He had a nickname that meant something like sleeps and poops. And so his teachers didn't like him because he didn't seem to be paying attention. The other students didn't like him because he didn't seem very very serious. And there was a tradition of asking a student to give a talk to the whole school. And this was a a great honor. And so they asked Shantideva to give this talk, thinking that it would humiliate him. It would be a way of exposing him, getting back at him. But what they didn't know was that Shantideva was always asleep during classes because he was up late at night conversing with Manjushri, (laughs) receiving the teachings from the Bodhisattva of Wisdom. And so the talk that he gave explained the whole path is this text, The Way of the Bodhisattva, 
that we have now. And the legend is that as he got deeper into his talk and explaining the path, he started to lift off of his seat. And at the end of the talk, he flew off into the sky, (laughs) disappeared. Shantideva's teachings, the way of the Bodhisattva, in part are structured around the paramitas, the perfections, generosity, morality, or the precepts, patience, effort, meditation, wisdom. The paramitas are ways of working with our self, our this relative conditioned self, with our emotions, the clashes, the, the, the kind of binding emotions. And the paramitas are also about realizing the nature of mind, the absolute nature of things, of self. And sometimes the first side of this can seem to be missing from Zen. And reading the teachings of Zen, the texts, that there isn't so much about working with emotions, working with this kind of messy self that we encounter, and more of an emphasis on realizing the absolute, the nature of mind, teachings to realize the unborn, what is the mind before thought. We need both. Practice to realize practice in in, in working with our conditioned self, and to realize no self. And so working with our emotions, with the clashes, anger, jealousy, pride, desire, greed, all of these forces that arise in us, often as uncomfortable feelings, what are they? Where do they come from? How do we work through them, work with them, understand them? Why do I keep doing the things that cause me suffering, he asks. So I'm working with emotions to, to learn. We don't have to be controlled by them. And so the mind training practices of the paramitas are offering some guidance in how to do this and working with with what we meet in ourselves, what we meet in our mind. And so the practices of patience, mindfulness, effort, generosity. And I've been appreciating um, in the bit of study that I've been doing of the paramitas, a bit of study of, of feel very similar to the Paramitas. Most of them, many of them reference Shantideva. It comes out of the same tradition. How they're pointing, as the teachings are always doing, to the nature of things. Coming out of an understanding of the nature of things. The emptiness of things. Non-self. and how they offer ways to work right here with what arises. 
not denying anything. And the paramitas are very much a part of the Zen tradition. For a while I was looking, I was, felt like I was, I was like, where, where are these teachings? Where are they in Zen? I felt like I couldn't find them. And then all of a sudden it was like they were everywhere. They are in all of the Mahayana Sutras. We're going to be... They're not explained so much in the Sutras. It's like they're just pointed to. It's like you need this. Practice this. And so I think it may be that the expectation, sort of the assumption was that a teacher would explain to you, how do you, what are these? How do you practice them? You would get that instruction in person. And maybe we just don't have those teachings. They haven't been translated or they weren't copied down. Why do I keep doing the things that cause me suffering? We all want to be happy, to be at peace, to find ease, to live in peace and ease. Do we know quite what we're looking for? There are so many experiences, possibilities that we meet of beauty, of pleasure, comfort. It would seem that this, what's, this is what we're looking for. Isn't that peace? And it seems to be continually disappointing that these things don't give us quite what we want. Do they? Do they give us peace? Where is the suffering, the disappointment? It's hard to see that they don't quite give us what we want that they're not giving us what we want. Because the next thing appears, the taste of lunch is fading in our mouth, and our mind is moving on to dinner. And nothing lasts. It's hard to see this sometimes, because we can kind of make things last. We can go back to things over and over again in our mind recreate a feeling in our mind, sensation, the feeling that we had when that thing was happening. Does that give us peace and ease? We spend a lot of time here. It asks for careful looking. I notice this sometimes on Sunday mornings when I've been working in the orchard during caretaking. So we have just a short period of caretaking on Sundays. And then we come back right into the Zendo. And seeing how I I come down and into the Zendo and, and that I am recreating what happened up in the orchard. Just the simple experience, the aliveness that I felt there, the contact that I felt there. Sometimes it feels like trying to re-enter a dream. It is the stuff of dreams. So what are we really looking for, seeking? How is it that even when we seem to have the things that we're looking for, it's not quite what we're looking for. We're not at ease and fulfilled. 
I gave a seminar a couple days ago on patience, looking at patience and practicing patience. And one of the important teachings in practicing patience is staying with our experience, with our uncomfortable experience, with suffering. Often in teachings about patience, it's, it's, it's anger or it's irritation because that, that is such an important emotion to work with, has such power. But it's really about all of the uncomfortable feelings that we feel. And staying with them so that we can experience them and see what's actually happening, seeing how we react to them. How much energy in our life is spent avoiding uncomfortable feelings, reacting to discomfort. Shanti Deva says, be like a piece of wood. Don't react. Don't do anything. Stay with it. But don't react. When discomfort arises of any kind, when a strong emotion arises, anger, jealousy, anxiety, fear, Be like a piece of wood, he says. And he's not telling us to not feel. This is in his chapter on mindfulness, his teachings on experiencing all of our experiences, not missing anything. But he's offering advice on how to work with our mind and how to shift our habits, shift our reactions, our reactivity. It's really hard to see what's happening because we so quickly react. We can't even see most of the time that we are reacting. It is so reflexive, seems so automatic. Shanti Davis says, I didn't choose to be angry. Did I? And so teachings, an invitation to learn to stand in our suffering, the little moments of suffering, until the mind lets go and stops creating suffering. The Theravadan teacher, contemporary teacher Ajahn Suchito says, it's just mind stuff. It's just mind stuff. What's actually there when we look closely? What is it that we're upset about? that we're reacting to. What's happening? It's just mind stuff. It's just our conditioned, habitual reaction to something that we perceive to be a problem, to be solid, to be real, to be ourself. He says, reactivity isn't the truth of the mind. It's a conditioned reflex, and it's not self. Therefore, all conditioned reflexes have to be understood as unreliable and dependent on causes and conditions. They're not to be adopted as real and solid, but they do happen. And so he's telling us when upset or discomfort arises in our body-mind, we tend to adopt it as real and solid. We tend to feel like it's ourself, it is self. 
so it deserves a reaction. Of course we would react to something. And so one way to work with this teaching is just to sort of take that on. So this is the diagnosis. The teacher is saying, this is what's happening. You may not be able to see it. Often we can't see it. And then to see, can, can we see it? Can we see that this is what's happening? I've been trying to do that myself. And sometimes it comes afterwards. After I've gotten irritated, and maybe it's past, or I've gone on to the next thing. But remembering that, looking back to that and saying, what, what happened? What was it? What was the, the thing that I took to be solid, that I was reacting to, that I was getting upset about? And also, as he says, because as they say, thing, these do, they do happen. It's not helpful to try and deny them, to try and not feel them, or pass them over, ignore them. It's really important to know, helpful to know what we're feeling. Someone was talking to me a while back about feeling some strong emotion in their zazen, some anger and grief, kind of in a difficult or in an in a important relationship. And just as they were talking about it, they were saying, you, you know, I know it's not real. And I didn't quite know how to respond in the moment, but I felt like I felt a little sort of, oh. But it's happening. It's what you're experiencing. Your experience is real. And to look closely, what is it? The teachings are not denying our experience. They're bec- the, the, all of these teachings are because we have these experiences, these feelings, these emotions. Emptiness does not mean not existing. Our emotions arise dependent on causes and conditions. They are habitual. and They are ephemeral. Where is yesterday's upset? Where did it go? What was that? So they do arise. Just don't adopt them as real and solid. Dogen said, don't give them too much weight. Don't ignore them. Why do I keep doing the things that cause me suffering? One of the things that I feel and have worked with over years, my years of practice, is a sort of sinking feeling of hopelessness and despair, which at different times in different ways I've been able to see has something in it also of like, oh, I just failed again. Feeling that, that a sort of judgment. And it's not really even in words anymore. It's just like in my, I just kind of feel it. It's very, it's, it's very quiet. I have to really listen closely, feel closely to notice when it's happening. And part of the study of that is to, has been actually seeing the ways that I've 
developed, kind of cultivated, to not feel it. Of course I don't want to feel it. To not notice it. But it's having an effect. And there are ways, I think I put this mostly in the past tense, there were ways in which at other times I really, I wanted to feel it. I wanted to live in it because it felt like that was me. And it kind of made me special. It seemed alive and true. It seemed like who I was. And so there was a sort of not wanting to question it, not wanting to see what was actually happening because that would, there was some threat in that maybe. It was so much my experience. So I think there's a bit of a pattern with that that is common or that is a a part of our relationship with our emotions. Someone in the seminar and patients sort of shared in kind of a clear way about his relationship with anger and seeing how he likes getting angry. That there's some pleasure in it, that it feels good, it feels alive, it feels righteous. And he's a practitioner, so he's able to see, oh, this is self. I'm creating myself, and I like that, that feels good. And in there was also a question. What's happening? Where is the suffering in this? Shantideva, in his teachings about patience, asks questions about anger for us to ask ourselves so that we can kind of interrogate our experience and find some ways to understand and to break the habitual cycles, make another choice. What do we gain from anger, he asks. When we're angry with someone else, do we want to hurt them, actually? When we look at other people who are angry, are they happy? A question I ask when I'm myself is when I'm upset, when I'm irritated, when I'm angry, who's suffering? Who is this hurting? As I said, there's a kind of focus on anger because of the power of anger and the potential consequences of anger. But we can ask these questions about all of our emotions and impulses and habits reflexivities, habits, reflexive habits, anywhere we, where we sense a, a, some suffering, some uncomfortableness. So we can ask questions about fear, anxiety, jealousy, greed, or desires, our distraction, the way that we distract ourselves, the ways that we distract ourselves. Is it giving me what I want? Does it, does it work? Why do I do this? Why do I choose this? Am I choosing this? Is this just habit? 
What am I reacting to, trying to get away from? You know, I've been thinking this, this meeting our delusions, meeting our emotions, our suffering, our places where we struggle, meeting them, this is kind of the real deal of practice. We really meet ourselves directly. So sometimes that means when things get difficult, when things are uncomfortable. I feel like I've been seeing this some with some of the resonance, hearing it during the seminar that I gave on patience, and kind of just appreciating that. This is the real deal. It's not an idea of practice. So because we are practicing, because we're practicing mindfulness, bringing awareness to our experience, to our mind, we meet ourselves, we run into ourselves, we meet our deluded self, where we struggle. And so how do we meet ourselves? Can we stay in that? Can we stay there when it's uncomfortable? I feel like I've learned over the years that sometimes when I'm really struggling, when it feels really uncomfortable, this happens sometimes during Sashin, but sometimes it's somewhere else. It's like in work, it's in, in the office, or it's in relationships. But that sometimes, and I've sort of learned to recognize the... the um, maybe kind of the kind of uncomfortableness it is, that I'm actually practicing well. That it's because I'm practicing that I'm, it's like, um, I'm, I'm, uh, something, I'm, I'm bringing myself up against something, against a barrier in myself. And so learning to trust in those times to stay there, to keep practicing, to not turn away, to not distract myself, to not give up. Because these are times when I have seen that sometimes I pass through. Something lets go. I let go of something. I see into something. Something loosens. And sometimes I can see that happening, and sometimes I can't. But I sort of realize afterwards, oh, that's not happening anymore. It's, that's fallen away. That's gone. And often what I'm up against is some idea I have of myself, or of practice, or of how it should be, how my practice should be, how my life should be. We are enlightened through our delusions, because of our delusions. But it's hard to stay with it when it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's really uncomfortable. And we all have ways of turning away from discomfort. Kind of finding a way to step out of that. And so this is when we distract ourselves. We numb ourselves. We get angry at ourselves or at the practice or at the form or at the teacher. 
we give up, kind of disengage, or we leave sometimes. For some of us, that's the, it's literally, okay, I'm out of here. Just last year, I was feeling really stuck and frustrated. And um, just stuck and frustrated and uncomfortable for a while. It was during Sashin, we were, some of you remember, we had a couple days of solitary practice, the residence during Sashin. So it was like just me and my uncomfortableness. And, you know, I kind of knew how to work with it. Like, I, like, um, and it wasn't really until afterwards um, that I had sort of, um, I had sort of shifted things and like relaxed. And um, it really took, it wasn't really until after session had, was over that I was able to look back and I say, oh, those were all of those patterns. I can't do this. I have, I have sort of, I, I'm, I, I give up. I don't belong here. And a kind of feeling that I get of, oh, they're trying to make me be different. That is an old feeling. I was thinking of another time many years ago going into face-to-face teaching with Shugen Roshi, long before he was Roshi, I think, during Sashin and just um, crying and so frustrated. And I'm sure that it was, um, um, you know, some of the same sort of despairing, I can't do this, I'm not getting anywhere. And he said, if you were to practice like this for the rest of your life, and you never realized yourself, how would you feel? And I was, it was not what I expected. He was not trying to help me feel better or sort of solve what I was feeling. And I don't really re- remember anything else, but you know, I think he was trying to say, this is it, right? You are practicing well, you are in it. Feel the, can you feel how this is alive, how this is direct and real. And I think my response eventually was, it would be mixed. (laughs) (laughs) Dada Roshi used to talk some about cutting through the brambles. Shon was saying there was a time when she asked Dido Roshi, you know, Zazen is so hard. There's all this stuff. Why don't, why don't the teachings talk about that? And he said, no, that's the cutting through the brambles. Right? It's just like this sort of like code word metaphor, but that's what they're talking about. And he also used to talk sometimes about the Blue Dragon's Cave. I think both... Ojin Sensei and Shigen Roshi mentioned this recently. I feel like he used to talk about it with some frequency, sort of acknowledging the Blue Dragon's Cave is, is where we go down into our stuff, 
and struggle. And the blue dragon is holding the pearl of enlightenment, of wisdom. But so to get to that, we have to go through all of the, our stuff, our self, meet our wounds, make peace with ourselves and with our attachments, loosen them. We can't skip over this. And there's no map to it. We don't get to choose. You know, it's not like we, we sit down and, okay, now, th- you know, this week I'm going to go to the Blue Dragon's Cave. And we don't get to choose what our barriers are or when they arise. But if we practice well, if we, which just means being sincere, they'll arise. The residents watched something last uh, yesterday, um, an interview with Dr. Larry Ward. And one of the things that he said was, was that we have to heal. We have to find some sense of safety with ourselves, in ourselves. And I'm paraphrasing through my own understanding. That we have to heal before there can be transformation. And I was kind of struck to hear the way that he put that, that the healing is not the transformation. The healing, healing is transformative. Right? We have to work with our wounds, our habits, with our difficult emotions. But what I heard him to say was that we have to do that healing and then there can be transformation. As Shugan said recently, we're complicated. It was like, let's admit it, we're complicated. But I think the teachings are actually quite simple. You know, part of my process of giving a talk, part of the one of my stages of anxiety and worry is the worry that I'm saying the same thing again. And I was remembering Dido um, after a talk, and it must have been he was just like talking to some of the residents or um, and saying, you know, someone came up to me and they were just like, oh, that was such a great talk. It was so wonderful, so helpful. And he was like, I just say the same thing every week. <laughs> but we need to hear the same thing over and over again so that eventually we hear it or in little pieces or at times we hear something that we've heard many times before, but we hear it. There is a path. One of the Buddha's truths was there is a path and he laid out a path for us. There is a path, there is progress. If you look at the ox herding pictures downstairs, they kind of point to stages of practice. Acknowledging there is progress, there is transformation, things change. 
We see into our attachments, our boundedness. There's understanding, there's unbinding. There's lessening, less struggle. Our experience of ourself, of our life, our experience transforms, changes. There is peace, there is joy that's not dependent. And the path is not linear. It's like there are things, there's a lot that happens outside the frames of those pictures. And I was thinking, you know, Shantideva, the title of his book is usually translated the way the Bodhisattva way of life, or often is translated that way. He lays out the whole path of practice. It's a way of life, an enlightening way of life. And so I've been appreciating the path. In my evening liturgy at the end of the day, for a long time I've, part of that has been giving thanks to my teacher, to Shugen Roshi, my teachers, to the Sangha, to you. And just recently I've found myself just thanking the Dharma, saying thanks for the Dharma, feeling gratitude for this life in the Dharma, and feeling joy in that. We can find joy in practice, even when it's hard. I found this line at the beginning of the Surangama Sutra where the Buddha says, I will answer your questions in a way that will give you joy in the Dharma. I read recently about a, um, a custom in a culture that was not identified of parents whispering to their children while they're sleeping, may you become all that you are. So while their children were sleeping, offering them that blessing that of invoking that deepest wish they had for their children. I was thinking that's what Shantideva is whispering to us across the centuries. May you become all that you are. That this is the deepest wish of all of the teachers of this wisdom tradition. And there's a path, there is a way, there is something that we can do. There is no guarantee, but there is something that we can do. There is a path to follow. So may each one of us become all that we are. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.